I appreciate it. Well, what is up, IRBC? I, uh, okay, we'll see if I can, I got the muscles. I'm not as strong as those other kids that were over here. I could? What's going on, guys? How you guys doing? You awake? The morning? You good? Yes? All right. That's good. I'm glad. Glad to see you. Uh, my name is John Nemers. I, uh, I am also on staff at a, uh, a church in Des Moines, just like Josh. Uh, he's a Southsider. We're a Northsider in, in, in Des Moines, all right? So we don't really affiliate with those Southsiders too much. I'm just, we love you, Josh. Wherever you are at. I love you. There you are. Uh, uh, so glad to be here. I honestly, just looking over you guys right now, I grew up in this camp, uh, and as you'll find out when I got saved during my message today, um, it is very surreal to be preaching here. <laughs> very surreal to be preaching to you guys. Uh, but I am very excited, really, really excited. I come here with my beautiful wife. We have that picture. We could throw that up. Maybe. Uh, yeah, there they are. Uh, so I come here with my wife, and uh, she's very pretty and very nice, and she's an awesome mother because we have four crazy kids. Starting with the oldest, we have Carter, uh, we have Zion in the middle, we have Aslan, like Chronicles of Narnia, and then we have Rama uh, as the baby. And yes, we named them all those progressively weirder just so we could confuse you, and because we're Christians and that's what Christians tend to do with kids' names. They just name them crazy names all the time. He- Hedekiah. And you're like, what in the world? That guy's a Christian for sure. Well, <laughs> so that's us. That is our family. Uh, and I'll tell you a little bit more about my story as I, as I progress here. But I, I want to start out by asking you guys what this is. I hold in my hand the coolest toy ever created. Anybody know what it is? What is it? Optimus Prime. You guys, some of you guys thought it was just a truck. Oh, no. Oh, no. Bam. Look at that. Now, now, what makes, now, Pat set this up perfectly with what you were talking about. What makes this toy so cool, and what made me as a kid think that this toy was amazing, was because of its transformation, right? Hence the name, a transformer. It was so cool. It transformed. It went from being one thing to being something completely different. But not just that. Its usefulness completely changed, right? I mean, you think about Optimus Prime. I mean, you kind of feel bad for the guy, right? I mean, like, when he's a semi, he's a semi. That, there's, like, so many other cool Transformers out there. They got Jets, they got Corvettes, and all these things. And then you got poor Optimus Prime. But then once he transforms, he, he transforms into this robot, and he's actually given a different use, where he's actually given these gifts and these tools to go out and change the world. He's got a bazooka on his hand. He's got this sword that, you know, slices through all these robots and whatnot. And the reason why I said Pat set me up perfectly is because, as Josh kind of talked about yesterday a little bit, when God saves you, he transforms you 
into a completely new creation, right? Completely new. You will look and act different. But not just that. Because the amazing thing that happens when you become a Christian is God actually equips you to go out and change the world. I want you guys just think about that for a second. Just think about that. God, if you know him, God changes you and equips you in such a way that you can go out and literally change the world. I'm blown away by that. And I think that you guys should be blown away by that. And that is what we're going to be talking about throughout the week in the morning is how a transformed life can transform the world. Your life being transformed by the gospel, going out and sharing that gospel message with the rest of the world. And I I don't know if there is a better story of someone's life going from seemingly useless to changing the world than our, our man, Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul that we heard about yesterday, And so each morning, what we're going to do, in the mornings at least, is we're going to look into the life of Paul. We're going to go through different, four different stories of the life of Paul and watch and see how God transformed his life and see what we can pick up on there. And so this morning specifically, we are, um, interestingly enough, we are going to go through the conversion of Paul, which you guys learned about yesterday. So if there's one thing you will remember at the end of this camp, it will be how Paul got saved, right? Can I get an amen? You'll, you'll know that. You'll know that. Uh, but, but it's good because Paul, what we want to see is how God transformed him from, from hating God to hunting and then eventually to heralding. And we'll talk about a little bit what that means. And, and Josh kind of gave Paul's perspective from Acts uh, and his testimony. And I, I'm going to give um, really the historical perspective of Paul's conversion. And we're going to be in Acts chapter 7, 8, and 9. The end of 7, the beginning of 8, and then the beginning of 9. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there and, and we'll start to dig into Paul's story And this is, like I said, it has to be one of the most fascinating salvation stories in the Bible. Because it starts with murder. All good stories start with murder, right? True crime, they're always there. Paul's conversion starts with murder. So if you're there, look at verse 58. And we'll pick it up and start reading. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. That's Paul. They're the same person. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he died. He fell asleep. Beginning at chapter 8. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. 
Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him, but Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house, and he dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now, as we're reading this story, I want you to put yourself there. I want you to put yourself in the story. I once knew a person um, that their parents were pregnant with them in 1994 uh, in Bosnia during the Bosnian War. And they're telling me a story about how their parents literally got drugged out of the house by the army and lined up. There's about 20 people there, 30 people there, and five of them just got shot right in the head. This was the terror. This was the kind of terror that Paul was putting these Christians through. Let's pick it back up in chapter 9. Look at the beginning of chapter 9. Just the first two verses. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogue at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So at this point, um, the Christians have scattered, which was actually a part of God's design, but that's for another sermon. Uh, And the Jews who were there, Once they left Jerusalem, as far as we know, they're just wiping their hands. They're like, good, good riddance. You're out of here. Fine. Now we can get back to our lives, but not Paul. Paul went out of his way. As far as we know, he's the only one who's doing this. Paul went out of his way because he hated with anger Jesus and his followers. He hated them. And it reminds me of the story, if you're a history buff, um, the story of uh, the Japanese troops going into Beijing, China, and conquering the city. Once they did that, they won. Right? They're good. They don't have to do anything else. They don't need to go, they don't need to go ransack any other cities. But because of their hatred... For the Chinese people, their army went down to this city called Nanking, where they slaughtered 300,000 innocent people because of their hatred for them. And what I want you to see at the beginning of Paul's story is that it starts as a story of hatred for God. And I have a very similar story to the beginning of my transformation. Um, Like Paul, I I grew up around the Bible. Uh, He grew up around the Old Testament. I'm growing up around the New Testament. Uh, And uh, my dad's a pastor, as Phil said. Any PKs in here? Yeah? I represent my guys. Um, Yeah, I was a PK. And actually, right over there by the sound room, those stairs, at the age of nine years old, I said the sinner's prayer. Uh, I had tears in my eyes, so I thought it was legitimate, but really it was just fire insurance at that moment. I just thought, hey, I just don't want to go to hell, so I'm just going to say this prayer and I'll be good. My life never transformed. 
right? It, it never looked any different. I, I was the exact same person I was all throughout middle school. And it was about my eighth grade year that uh, I kind of had an epiphany. And that epiphany was that it was a lot more fun to stop pretending to be a Christian, right? Maybe some of you have been there before, like you're at this moment where it's like, hey, I'm pretending to be a Christian, I'm pretending to be a Christian, and, and then you just kind of get to a point where you're like, you know what, it's a lot more fun if I just don't pretend to be a Christian. And so, so that's what I kind of had that epiphany when I was in eighth grade. I still believed in God, right? I still believed that eternity was a very, very real place. I still believed that heaven and hell were, were real places and that I was going to go to one of those places. But I basically just kind of took all of those eternal thoughts, and I kind of just shoved them into a closet. I just thought, you know what, out of sight, out of mind, I'm not going to go there and think about those things. And as a result, I, I eighth grade year going into high school, I just kind of dove head first right into the deep end of, of the world. Um, got, got really, really heavy into drugs immediately, uh, both doing and dealing drugs, uh, I did drugs here. Don't tell Phil that. It's just between us. Uh, so sorry, Phil. <laughs> but it's true. I, 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 was, I was in all of that. The, the dealing in Des Moines. I mean, it's not like Des Moines, Chicago, but it's still a bigger city. And so I got wrapped up into all of that stuff, always looking for satisfaction in a relationship, always looking to find a girlfriend, someone to tell me that I was wanted, um, always angry. I was always angry. I was so angry when I was in high school. And that, and that led to a lot, of, a lot of fights. I would get into a lot of fights, a lot of running away from, uh, from the police in these fights. And uh, eventually I would get kicked out of my, my high school. Um, and I ended up getting arrested at the age of 17 and then put into juvie. Uh, for a couple of weeks, house arrest for a couple of months because of these, uh, these worldly actions that I was taking. And unlike the story of Josh that you heard yesterday, that was not my wake-up call. At that moment, all of that just fed into my hatred for Christianity. Because I always had Christians coming up to me at that moment like, hey, is this like your coming to Jesus moment? And I'm like, no, it's not. I hated Christians. I hated church. I still claim to be a Christian, but I couldn't stand them. And so in reality, I, I was Paul. I hated the ways of God. And this is the first thing I want you to see. If you want your life to be transformed so that you can go out and change the world. If that's something you want, then you must first see yourself as Paul. As a hater and an enemy of God. See, because it's, it's really easy for us to look at Paul and go, yeah, that makes sense, he's an enemy. He went around and killed Christians. But what's not so easy to see, at least for some of us, is that we are just as much enemies of God as Paul was. Jesus himself said, if you hate someone in your heart, then you are a murderer, which means all of us are murderers. 
We've all gone out of our way to commit a sin, just like Paul, right? We've all hated the ways of God, which makes all of us, every single one of us, at least at one point in time, you have been or currently are an enemy of God. And Colossians 121 puts it like this. I want you to feel this verse. Once you were alienated, that means separated. You were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior. You were enemies in your minds. You were separated from God. Why do we, when we hear verses like this, why do we not, why do we not grasp or feel the weight of what it means to be separated from God? And I think it's because oftentimes when we, when we think of sin, we oftentimes think that it just kind of distances us from God. Not separates, but just distances. Like God's over here, and as soon as we sin, he just kind of moves away. When in reality, our sin completely separates us from God. Not like someone moving away, but more like we as humans are completely separate from the Son. You following me here? You see, we have this idea that if God is just distant, if he's just over there, then there's still a possibility that I can go work my way to him. Right? I can still go find him. I can still work hard enough, and I'm going to find him. When in reality, God is completely separate. He is unapproachable, just like the glory of the sun is unapproachable for any of us. I don't care who you are. You're Jeff Bezos or Elon Musk. You ain't flying to the sun, because if you do, you're going to burn. And in the same way, our sin separates us and makes it impossible to approach the glory of God without being burned up in his presence. And if you want to be transformed into a new creation that changes the world, this is what you need to see first. I know that there are some of you in here who have not grasped what it means to be an enemy of God. And that means that you are still his enemy. And if you die an enemy of God, then you will face the glory of God and you will have nothing to protect you. And that should be a sobering thought for every single one of us in here. But let's keep going with the story of Paul's transformation. Verse 3 in chapter 9. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what to do. Jump down to verse 10. And now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. And the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. And he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at that house of Judas, you will find 
For a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come and lay his hands on him so that he might regain sight. But Ananias said, Lord, I have heard so many things about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on his name. You can imagine the horror of Ananias at that moment, right? What? I know this guy, Paul. He is not a good dude. He's killing all of my friends, and you want me to go to his house and tell him about you. That would make me a little scared, right? Let's keep going. Verse 15. But the Lord said, go, for he is He is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And if you're taking notes, underline verse 16. Because we're going to come back to that later this week. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul... The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and he regained his sight and he rose and was baptized. Now, I love this story and it was the first time I ever saw this. I never saw the irony going on here. In Paul's conversion. It's almost as if, well, God God has a sense of humor, right? And I love this. Look at this again. Paul, he gets all packed up. He packs up his donkey. and He's going on this six-day journey to Damascus. And he is fully thinking that he is going to go and hunt down these Christians. When in reality, it's God that's hunting down Paul. Right? Do you see that? Paul goes in here and he's thinking, I'm going to go chase down these Christians. I'm going to go drag them down on the ground back to Jerusalem. And I'm going to inflict bodily harm on them. When in reality, it was God who chased down Paul. It was God who knocked Paul down to the ground. And it was God who inflicted bodily harm on Paul by blinding him. I think that's fascinating. And I think there's a lesson to be learned here. If you want to be transformed into a new creation that changes the world, then you must see that salvation is God's work, not yours. God's doing the chasing. God hunted Paul, not the other way around. See, remember, the Son, like the Son, God is completely unapproachable. You can't work your way to God on your own moral merit, just like you wouldn't be able to approach or work your way to the sun in your own human skin. It's not possible. Which means that the only way that we can approach God Because that is what we want, right? We want to approach God. Our inner self, our conscience cries out for this. This is why we want justice. 
This is why we scream for justice. We desire a perfect world. This is why we desire a relationship with someone. We want to be loved. These are, these are all of our conscience that God has ingrained inside of us. This is why we know the difference between right and wrong is because we know that we want God. We want a relationship with a holy being, and yet we know instinctively, I can't. There's no way that I could make this happen. And so the only way that we can draw near to God is if God draws near to us. And I hope you see where I'm going with this. Guys, this is who Jesus is. Jesus is God drawing near to you. I know you've probably all heard the most famous verse in all the Bible, John 3.16. Maybe you've heard it and said it a thousand times. Maybe you just need to actually think about what that simple and glorious verse actually says. For God so loved the world that he gave his son, which means God looked down on a world full of enemies that absolutely hated him, and he did the unthinkable. He loved you. He wanted you. God wants every single one of you. And the only thing he could do to help us get to him is to give us himself. And that's who Jesus is. Jesus is God in flesh. Come down to earth to die on a cross, taking and absorbing your sin and offering you his righteousness so that you could have a relationship with him if you would do what the rest of John 3.16 says. Whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have eternal life. You can't approach the Son If you try to, in your own human flesh, you will die. The only way you would be able to, without being burned alive, is if something were protecting you. And when Jesus died on the cross, he did not just, he didn't just take our sin, he offered us his righteousness. He offered us his perfection. Isaiah 61.10 says this, God has covered me in the robe of righteousness. So while there is no way that we could approach the glorious glory, burning glory of God on our own moral merit, if you have believed... If you've actually looked at the cross and trusted in what Jesus has done for you, Jesus takes a robe and drapes it around you completely, a protective robe, so that he can take you into the midst of a holy and righteous and awesome and glorious God, and you will not perish but you will have eternal life. This happened to me when I was 18. Like Paul, God was hunting me down. Um, I, I was completely, by the time I was 17, I was unfulfilled with the life I was living. But I just thought, this is what I got to do. 
This is where satisfaction comes from. This is, this is where I find, I find it in the world. But it's all just fading away. And uh, the straw that broke the camel's back is I, uh, I got into another fight with a four-time state wrestling champion who ended up winning a national championship at the University of Iowa. Not a good decision. Shockingly, I lost the fight. Um, he dislocated my shoulder. And uh, my brother, my brother, who God had gotten a hold of his heart, uh, picked me up to take me to the doctor afterwards. And, and I got in the car, and he just looked at me, and he confirmed everything that God had been putting into my mind. And that was the question, John, what are you doing with your life? And it's like at that moment, all of those thoughts about God and eternity and heaven and hell that I kind of shoved away in a closet when I was in eighth grade, it's like all of those thoughts just kind of just burst open. And I couldn't help but think about God. And I, I felt heavily that God was hunting me down. And so what I did is I went to camp. I went to camp just to find hope. And maybe that's where some of you guys are at right now. You just came here because you just want to find hope. That's where my heart was. And on the Wednesday night of that camp, uh, the pastor was preaching. And I was talking to Josh about this, eerily similar. He was talking about Jesus. He was just describing his relationship with Jesus. And he was weeping. And I remember looking at him and going, I don't have a relationship with Jesus like this man. But I want one so bad. And in that moment, Jesus and what he did for me on the cross and how he was going to take all of my sins and give me purpose and give me eternal life and give me hope and give me joy, I just saw him as irresistible. And like Paul, at that moment, scales fell from my eyes. And I was no longer an enemy of God. I was a child of God. And that is one of the most often overlooked parts in this passage. Look at verse 17. Notice what Ananias says to Paul. He goes into his house and he says, Brother Paul, indicating that Paul was no longer an enemy. Paul was a part of the family of God. And that is amazing. So what about you guys? Like Josh said, we don't, we don't buy into the whole Friday night conversion thing, okay? Every night's a gospel night. Some of you guys need to be saved. Some of you guys have, you don't see God for who He is. You don't see God as glorious. You don't see God as holy. And so what that means is your sin's just no big deal. You must see God for who He is. He is a holy, righteous, and just judge. And when you do, you'll start to see your sin for what it is. It is an abomination. And it will lead to an eternity away from God because you can't go into His presence without protection. 
So if you're in here, and I know some of you are, and you feel the spirits tugging on your heart, don't wait. Don't wait. You're not promised another day. Today is the day to be saved. And I, we encourage any of you who are feeling that way, get right with God. Look at Jesus. Trust in Him as your personal Lord and Savior. And He will drape you, clothe you in His robe of righteousness. And quickly as we wrap up, this amazing transformation is really just the beginning of Paul's story. And this is where we're headed for the next three mornings. Last verse, verse 20. And immediately Paul, he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogues saying he is the son of God. Now think about that as we close. Think about that. Paul went from hating Jesus and murdering Christians to heralding Jesus and making Christians. That is amazing. Paul would go on to make an enormous impact on the world. In fact, I was just listening to an atheist historian that said, you know, Christianity might have been possible without Jesus, but it would have never been possible without Paul. He's wrong, obviously. He's being facetious, but you get his point. He's saying Paul was so influential. He wrote 80% of the New Testament, but he's not the anomaly. He shouldn't be the anomaly. God transforms lives. This is what he does. If you're a Christian, think about this. This is what God does. This is what God could do in your life. Transform you to change the world through his power. And that's what we're going to learn about for the next three mornings. And so I encourage you, ask yourself, are you truly transformed? Have you been transformed? And if you have been transformed, would you ask God to use you to change the world? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Lord, we love you. You are so merciful to us. I pray that you would open our eyes. Open the eyes of the blind, just like you did to Paul. It's not our work. I can't be convincing enough. Josh can't be powerful enough. Their counselors can't make the most persuasive arguments. Lord, you must open their eyes if they are to be saved. And Lord, I pray that you would do that here this morning. And we love you in your son's name. Amen.